We're in the middle of a series right now called Unshakable. Everybody say Unshakable. Come on like you're warm and you're happy to be in church. Say Unshakable. Yeah, we're, we're talking about really the kingdom of God. We found it in Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 28. And it says, therefore, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We've been talking about this idea, and Shakeable has really just been our kind of banner theme for this idea of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is a central theme in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And honestly, if you, uh, you know, talk to somebody from church, or you, you've been to a sermon before, or maybe you read a Christian book, you've probably heard this idea of this concept of the kingdom of God, which is really God's way of thinking or living in this earth. And that many of us, when we step into that kingdom, there is so many elements of it that are in shakable because my kingdom left unto, unto me it's pretty shakable if you if you if i trust me in my all my circumstances if i trust me in my issues I, I, that's not something to be probably to build your house on but god has a kingdom and has a way and inside of our series last week we brought up the idea of how this unshakable kingdom how this kingdom of god relates to us when it comes to anxiety or worry so if you struggle with anxiety or worry i highly encourage you please go check out last week's sermon it's on youtube uh, and it's about anxiety and worry like what does that mean like what does the kingdom of god have for me if I struggle for anxiety and worry, you should go watch it. Uh, last week, we have it on YouTube and Google Play everywhere, all the podcasts. Um, but today, I'm going to talk to you about, now today's going to be unique. Um, maybe the more foundational message that I put together for, I would say, if you're a new believer or you're not a believer, or maybe somebody who's been a believer since, you know, forever, um, this is going to be a really challenging message for you. Because I think sometimes, um, if we're not careful, our perception of the kingdom of God can determine whether or not we access the kingdom of God, can ter- determine really whether or not we even see or feel the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk to you, we're going to show a, a, a part of um, Jesus's life today when he meets with a man named Nicodemus. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to John chapter three, or you can pull out your phone and press to John chapter three. And um, you can actually find my notes on version. Um, but, but we're going to look at a story where Jesus is in the middle of his ministry and he's, he's talking to a very, very religious leader, a very important religious leader, somebody who has authority, somebody who is uh, not just a Pharisee, but he's a leader of the Pharisees. You're going to see that in the Bible, that this is not an ordinary man. This is not a man who does not know about God. This is not a man who, who doesn't know about the kingdom or does not teach about the kingdom. He is versed in the things of God. And he is one of, I would just call him the, you know, a great preacher or pastor of the day. And Jesus sits down with him in John chapter 3 and has an interesting conversation with this man named Nicodemus. And um, we're going to read it for you in John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, and now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. I like Nicodemus's, you know, posture, his humility, because truthfully, in that day, most Pharisees didn't like Jesus. Most Pharisees actually were upset with Jesus because he came and ruined a lot of their systems and kind of their, their world that they had, that they had created, really, which made everybody feel like they were out and all the Pharisees were in. I mean, he came in and really kind of wrecked it. But Nicodemus didn't do that. Nicodemus actually came to him with a humble heart and a humble posture, said, I want to learn. I want to figure out what, what is it different about you and what do you think about this thing called the kingdom of God? And so Jesus replies to him in verse three, and he says, very truly I tell you, or anytime he says that, just means, hey, look, pay attention. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Everybody say born again. 
So he says that you got to be born again unless that's how you see the kingdom of God. How can someone, this is Nicodemus' response, he goes, well, then how can someone be born um, again if, when they're, they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, well, here, just pay attention. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. There it is again. That's our kind of central theme of what we're talking about, the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. I like that Jesus ends his time with Nicodemus by kind of taking a shot. This is kind of like, listen, Nicodemus, you're telling people about me. You should probably already know these things, right? And so he kind of gets at him a little bit, but really the premise is still there is that God is trying to encourage and inform Nicodemus of what the kingdom of God really looks like. And so if you're taking notes, that is our backdrop. Um, the title of my message today is Unshakable with God. Unshakable with God. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you, Lord. And Lord, we had such a, uh, an amazing time in our 930 service. And Lord, you spoke to us in such a, such a deep way. Um, today's message is unique in the sense that it, it's, it's so for us and we need to search our heart for this message. And I, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just breathe on this message you, you, you've showed up time and time again in our church. Would you do it again? Would you do it again? Would you fill this place? Would you change our hearts? Would you redirect our minds? Would you pastor our emotions? Would you speak to our future? God, would you do it again? And I'll get out of the way. And you continue to speak today. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Um, how many of you have ever um, had this happen to you in your life where you, you thought something was happening, but you turned out it was not really happening? I'll, I'll give an example. Um, has anybody ever been in like a crowd and you saw somebody from a crowd? Like I used to have this happen at school. Maybe, guys, you can kind of relate to this. You're, you're walking in the hallway, you know, and somebody screams, hey, and, the, and you look up and they're, the pretty girl's waving at you. Come on, y'all know that, right? And, and, and what do you naturally do when the pretty girl waves at you? What do you do? What do you do? You wave, yeah, you wave back. And so I was, one time I was walking down the hallway and I was looking up and looked up at the pretty girl and she was waving at me and I, I did the, I didn't know her, you know, cause yeah, I, I didn't know any pretty girls. So I, but I was like, this is my shot, <laughs> you know? And I waved at her and she does the thing that you, you hate to see, like, <laughs> when she was waving at somebody, come on y'all. Has anybody ever done that to somebody where you're waving and you're like, no, nah, I'm not waving at you. I'm waving at that person, you know? And I just saw something I thought was real, but it turned out it really wasn't, you know? And um, it, you know, it kind of happens to us pretty regularly. My wife and I, we like to travel. Um, I, I go, we, we travel together pretty regularly. We went to uh, Nashville several years ago and um, Nashville's really cool because it's got a great like um, coffee, foodie vibe. I don't know if you've ever been to Nashville, but it's really kind of, a, it's, it's a different world. And um, I like that because I like unique things and different places. And so we get there and um, my wife's sister said, hey, you gotta, she knew I like coffee. She goes, you, you, you gotta go check out this coffee shop. It's called the Frothy Monkey. And I'm like, the Frothy, that's just the coolest name. Everybody say that, Frothy Monkey. Yeah, like that's like a high school alt rock band. You know what I mean? Like I just feel like it's cool. So we're like, okay, we're gonna go check it out. So we, we go down to this coffee shop and I walk in and I realize real quick, like this is full on Nashville vibe. So it's like 
cool people, hipster flow. Um, you know, I did not fit in very well at the time and just was very, very unique. And so I'm um, standing in the line and getting ready to order my coffee and didn't really understand. Honestly, I couldn't decipher the, I'm used to Starbucks, you know, grande, you know, non-fat decaf oatmeal latte, you know, that's kind of like my thing. Or, and, uh, and so I realized like there's like all these kinds of names and I'm, I don't really understand. So I start talking to the barista and he's a unique character. He's a super, you know, thin dude. He's got like a really hot, like top button Tuesday was going on. He had like a neck scarf and then like he had one of those wide brimmed like cowboy hats. Like those are cool now, but they're not cowboy hats, but they're like wide. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so he was, he had this really cool vibe going on. And so I'm talking to him about it and he was really nice. It was really helpful because I didn't really know what I was doing. So help me out. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to bless this guy. So I pulled out, because I only carry the big bills. So I pulled out my wallet, pulled out that five. You know what I'm saying? And I was going to tip them. And I pulled the, saw the tip, you know, because they have that tip jar, which, by the way, side note, soapbox moment, tips, tipping has gone out of control. Can I just say that? Like, you want me to prove it to you? I was in the airport recently, went to a self-check-in line, self-check-out line, myself, checked out my bottle of water, scanned it, and asked me if I wanted to leave a tip. I'm like, for me? How do you do, what are you talking about? Tipping's out of control. Anyway, so I'm sorry. Back to the thing. So I wanted to tip this person, so there's a bar, you know, tip jar right there, and I'm like, I'm gonna tip, so I pull out my five. I put the cash in my hand, and I go to put the tip in the thing, and just as I tip, he turns around and doesn't see the tip, which is kind of like part of the process anyway, you know? It's like, how am I gonna put a, how many of y'all think like this when I, come on, how many of y'all, you right? Like, I want you to know that I'm gonna give you a tip. He so I put the tip in there, and then it goes in with a bunch of other tips, then you don't know if it was mine or not, so I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, uh, should I wait, should I not wait? And I don't wanna like make it awkward, so I just put the tip in there. Well, problem was, is the moment I let go of the cash, my ring falls into the tip jar. And so I'm like, oh. So now I'm stuck with a dilemma. Do I go fishing for my ring, or do I wait and ask? But I did the panic move that everybody does when your ring would fall into anything. I quickly reach into it to grab the ring. Well, just as I, he, I put my hand to grab the ring, homeboy with the cowboy rimmed hat turns around and looks at me with my hand in the tip jar. Now, I don't know if you have been around, but whenever you're caught with your hand in the tip jar, it's not exact. They don't naturally think you're trying to give them money. Come on, what do they think? You're trying to steal some money. So I, my, he turns around, my hand's full all into, I'm elbow deep in the tip jar. And he looks at me and he goes, bro. And I'm like, bro. And I don't even say bro, but I was nervous. So I said, bro. I was like, no, it's not what you think. He goes, you're stealing from us. I go, no, no. I said, I, my, I, said, I don't want any. I wasn't trying. My ring, it fell off into the thing. Can you, you can get it for me. I don't want your money. In fact, I gave you a five. And he kind of rolled his eyes at me and goes, no, you didn't. And I was like, no, I did. And so he got my ring out. And it was an awkward conversation. It was an awkward moment. In fact, I didn't even drink my coffee because I thought he spit in it. I went to Starbucks after. Honestly, that's <laughs> what happened. But what I noticed is, is that like, if we're not careful, okay, this is important. So if you're not a follower of God in here, like I'm first, like number one, so happy you're here. Like you are so welcome. Churches should be places that people who don't know God feel the most comfortable coming in and learning about him. You belong here. And if you're looking to be in a relationship with God, your perception about the kingdom makes a whole lot of sense. And it makes a lot of difference. Because words don't matter as much as the meaning behind the words or how we determine what the words mean. Because I can say kingdom and every one of us think different things. 
Some of you thought of the United Kingdom. Some of you thought of like the Arab Kingdom. Some of you thought of like a, a king you saw on, you know, Gang of Thrones or, or I don't know. Some of y'all, see, whatever comes to your mind, king and kingdoms make you think certain things about God. And so if I tell you, hey, I, God wants you to enter into the kingdom of God, you could, that could be a good thing or that could be a terrible thing. So let me clarify for you and for everybody, biblically, when I say, or when God says to join the kingdom of God, he meant that you are now moving away from living the way you want to live and you want to do things to where you are now living and doing the things that God wants you to do. You are quite simply to join, to be a Christian, you're joining a kingdom and there's already a king. And if there's already a king, seats taken, come on, like then everyone else is just the followers. It doesn't mean you don't have value. That doesn't mean you don't have authority. It just means that you, you answer to a higher authority. And if you don't see the kingdom of God in the accurate way, you'll miss it altogether. That's the point of Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus. He's saying, you should know better than this, Nicodemus, because you have been God's ambassador before I came to this earth as Jesus. You should have got this better from the scriptures. And so if he did that, I thought I'd share with you just, I, I, so just humor me for just a moment, okay? Today's going to be unique. I have been a pastor for coming on 20 years. I've been in ministry for longer than that. And I've had a unique opportunity to talk to a lot of people on how they see God. Most of how people see God is unbiblical. It's based on what your grandpa told you. Or it's based on what a religion taught you. Or it's based on what you Googled on the internet. Or it's what you saw on TikTok. Don't get me started on like TikTok theology right now. And so, like, because of that, you can miss out on what the kingdom of God really looks like. So I wanted to give you four, if you're taking those four, four positions, or what I call mispositions of Christianity, or mispositions of the kingdom of God, that can get you messed up, that can get you off course, that could cause you to miss what the kingdom of God really actually looks like in your life. And then I'm going to explain to you maybe the most biblical way to position yourself with God today. So if you're with me, say, okay. okay. Everybody say, I got you. I got you. All right, wait back up. We got this. It's going to go, go good. Number one, number one, first misposition with God is what I call a life under God. These are people who value um, God's rules above God himself. They value religion. They value morality. They value rules. They value rituals. They value sacrifices over the God of the sacrifices. In this position, you and I would see God as an angry God who controls all things. And in order to mitigate our fears and anxieties and worries of the world, you and I sacrifice to God not because he's God and you love him. You sacrifice to God to appease him because he's angry and he's going to hurt you if you don't sacrifice to him. In this position, religion becomes the idol of your life. In this kingdom, very easily described, it's an oppressive kingdom with an angry king that must be appeased. And in that kingdom, everyone loses. Now, this has been around since the beginning of time. You've probably heard it on a history channel or like some history book. You Maybe you read it. It's when it's like, the, come on, the local tribes toss the virgin woman into a volcano, right, to appease the what? 
the gods or they sacrifice animals or they make um, idols to worship. It's whatever you want to do. It's whatever rules you want to follow. It's whatever religion you want to follow. It's all in order to make sure you keep God happy. In fact, you would think that'd be an old school. You're like, well, good thing we're over that, pastor. Not really, because a lot of people I talk to only come to church simply to make sure they don't keep God mad at them. You read the Bible so that you keep up on your spiritual credit score. You pray so that God don't get mad at you and smite you with his mighty hand, right? You use some Old Testament scripture out of context and you determine that's who God is inside of your life. What's interesting to me is how God, the picture of God that most people have in their eyes is a first century Greek God, is how they see God. Most people see God as a white dude with flowing white hair on a cloud with a lightning bolt. Who does that sound like to you? Oh, how did you know that? How did you know that? Because you would be like, well, that's just Zeus. It's not how I see God. Are you sure? Are you sure you're not, you don't see God as somebody who would just get you if you did something wrong right now? Like many of us see God like that. And because we see God like that, God's formulaic. I'll explain to you what I mean. It means that you see God as cause and effect. If you do good things, God will give you what? Good things. But if you do bad things, uh-oh, uh-oh, you better be running. Anybody been running from God? Like that's so funny when people tell me like to be running from God. I'm like, how can you run from God who is everywhere all the time? He's omnipresent, which means he's, wherever you're going, he's already... <laughs> He's already there. He, God's never took in a plane. <laughs> he's never booked a ticket. So, so because he's formulaic, you now do things not because you love him. You do things because if you did this, it controls the God who controls everything. And what's funny is, is you find out this is actually not really true. If you're like beyond 30, I got a little bit of gray in your hair and you're proud of it. You know what I'm saying? You know this to be true because life is not all cause and effect. Because there have been times, come on, let's be honest, is it true? You've done good things and then bad things happen. Come on, has that ever happened to anybody at work this week? Come on, somebody, right? Yeah, or with your wife or your husband on the way to church today. Okay, so, yeah. Or you did the bad thing, come on now. You did bad. You actually made the wrong decision and it worked out. So those of us who believe in this cause and effect God or life that we live in, that's not really true. You know it's not true, yet we live like it's true because it's ingrained into the human nature of who we are. And it's been around since the time of Jesus. I'll show it to you. John chapter 9, Jesus is walking around. He's in the middle of his ministry. His disciples walk up on a man who's blind, and they say this as they went along. He saw, we saw a man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So this man was born blind, and they're naturally response to what it was was what did he do wrong to make God so angry do you see the spirit they lived as like well as long as you did the right thing you know if you were kosher enough you would make God really happy and he wouldn't be mad at you so make sure you do the right thing yeah. and Jesus corrects them now you've got it wrong it's not the man it's not the parents no God's doing something God's doing something. 
And it's a shame when we see it, when we see the kingdom or we see God like that, primarily because of what it brings to us. The other day, I, uh, my sons, they, they're into this video game. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of it. It's very, very, it's not very popular. It's called Fortnite. And, um, and like, I've been recently trying to like spend time with my boys. Like, I have five of them, so they're everywhere, and they all like different things. And, but this is the one thing they all like to do. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try to kind of spend more time with them and just be with them. And so I, I try to, you know, try to play. So I sit down with them the other day, and I'm like, hey, son, like, wanna come play Fortnite with me? And like, you, he just runs. Yes, yes, like, like he's got an issue, you know? Yes, he runs, jumps on the couch, sits down with me, I'm ready. And I'm like, okay. So we play, have a good time. I'm not very good. They get mad at me because I apparently ruined their team. <laughs> and um, it's like dance, I like dancing and while they're playing and fighting. And um, so I'm a distraction, but they don't, so they don't like it very much. They don't really like playing with me as much. But what's funny is so I got done and walked away but before I walked away, I looked at my son and said, hey, why did you come so fast to play with me this time? Like, it was kind of odd, you know? And he goes, well, I don't want to tell you. I was like, you know, when your kids say, how many all do that, right? Like, when your kids say that, you're like, oh, okay, we're going to have a talk. Okay. Uh, no, why did, you t- why, did, you know, why did you come so fast? He goes, well, because last time I, I, I told you No. I was like, I don't remember that. And he goes, yeah, I told you no, and you got mad, and then you walked away, and you slammed the door. And I was like, no, I didn't. My wife was behind him, and then she's like, mm-hmm. that's what happened. And I was like, so you only came and played with me because you didn't want me to be mad at you? And he said, yeah. I was like, oh. And I remember walking away thinking, I wonder if that's how God feels sometimes when I go and pray with him when the only thing I need is nothing but just don't want him to be mad at me. I was thinking about that because like, you know, if you ever read the Bible, just so you, it's just a theologian idea, from beginning to end, the Bible's progressive. It's trying to show you how amazingly Loving, God is. And it's a progressive journey as people get revealed to their life. And the danger in living a life under God is that at the end of the day, you can do all the religious practices and creeds and morality and still not love the God you're sacrificing to. That's the danger of a life under God. Maybe that's not you. Let's go to the second one. How about a life over God? Some of us like this. This is important. Um, and it's really unique because you don't, you don't value his rules. You actually value his principles over God himself. In this position, God doesn't control all things. He's actually, this is a really uh, interesting analogy. He's a watchmaker who has created and designed and created the watch. He's put the pistons and the gears and the springs all together. He's created the watch of life. And then he puts it out there and says, all right, I'm completely absent of it. And your job and my job is now to work the system, to work the principles, to work the wisdom. So you don't really need God, you just need his, his principles. And the only problem with that is that um, the kingdom of God as it's established when it comes to living a life over God is it's an established kingdom with an inattentive king who isn't involved. 
And so what it really is, is in this posture, the presence of God is optional as long as his principles are still available. So if you're a non-Christian in here, let's say you don't believe God, you use science or logic or reason or, you know, you call it enlightenment. And so before, like, I'll give you an idea of, like, Isaac Newton could develop the idea of gravity, and he did that after an apple hit him on his head. And before that time, before they started to develop and really develop the idea of enlightenment, they would have thought God has created all things and designed things to fall. And now you've created a system or create or found a law that actually proves that there's gravity. And so now you don't need God in the system. You just need his principles, and if you just need his principles, you don't need him. And so you can walk around here and be like, well, at least I'm not there. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. No, you do it too. Except ours is a little more unique. We use God's wisdom and principles from his Bible. And as long as we have his Bible, and as long as we have his word, we actually can not really need the God of the Bible. They call, there's a word and a term for it theologically. It's called Christian deism. It's where you value the Bible more than the God of the Bible. Which means you've now elevated the Bible to the fourth member of the Trinity. And some of you in here are like, oh, pastor, be careful. Be careful. No, this was around in Jesus' day too. You want me to show you? Like, John chapter 5, Jesus has to correct their posture and the kingdom of God. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them, in them, you think the Bible has eternal life. Except these are the very scriptures that testify about who? The person who's standing in front of you. You don't treat the Bible as a vehicle to get to know God and to foster communion with him. You use the Bible as your God to control your life. It's like you took all the things that God gave you to reveal himself to you and you made those things God. There's an interesting story in the Bible, Old Testament. It's really cool. You should go back and read it. It's about Moses. Y'all know Moses, right? Let my people go, Moses. You don't have to be a Christian to know Moses, you know. You know, Charlton Heston Moses, right? Yeah, big guy, hands. Y'all know. So Moses was, he has this weird moment with God, like he starts to lead for God on behalf of God, and God gives him a stick, right? This stick, it's a staff, but you can, it's a fancy stick. It's a walking stick. It's a stick. So he's walking around with this stick, and so God starts to tell him to do things with the stick. So I'll give you an example. He tells us one time, he told him to throw the stick on the ground, and the stick kind of becomes a snake, and then God says, pick up the snake, and he picks up the snake, and it becomes a stick again, and he's like, that's what's up. And then he uses the stick one time, he takes the stick, and he takes the same stick and goes on top of this little hill area, and then he opens it, he holds his hands out, y'all seen it before on the video, and he holds his hands out, and then the, the Red Sea parts, and he uses the stick to help go the Red Sea, and he's like, that's what's up. And then he has this other time where God told him to take the stick that he has in his hand and do like Jose Canseco and smack the, the rock with the stick, the stick hits the rock, and water comes out of the rock. And so at this point in his life, the stick's a big deal to Moses, y'all. Right? Then God has a moment with him and says, hey, guess what I'm going to do to you today, Moses? Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. That same rock, I want you to just speak to the rock and water's going to come out of it. Go do that. That's what I want you to do. And the Bible says Moses doesn't do that. The Bible says Moses, is, what does he do? <laughs> What's he do? I got to give him my stick. Where's my stick at? And he gets the stick and he goes, strikes the rock. Nothing happens. And the Bible says 
From then on, God decides he's not entering into the promised land. What happened with Moses? Moses saw a great good thing elevated into the God thing. He thought it's the stick that brought the water. It's the stick that turned it into a snake. It's the stick that parted the waters. No, no, it wasn't the stick, Moses. It was the God of the stick. And so you and I can elevate a good thing that was designed to reveal us God and make it God and eventually becomes an idol. And that's why you find all these great Christian people who are really, really holy and they call you brother and you sister and they don't actually act like the God of the Bible. These are really fancy people. Be careful with them. They're nobody in here, ain't none of y'all. Other churches, but like, they're people who love to tell you about the Bible. They love to come school me about it. They probably know more about the Bible than I do, but they never do it. It's the people that come in here, praise God, thank you, Jesus, I'm holy, walk out the doors, and then treat people like trash. It's the people that Jesus did not like the most, so just so you know. He was like, uh, that ain't who we are. You missed it. It ain't in the stick. God's the God that we serve. And the problem with this position is that you could do all the principles right, know all the Bible, know all the wisdom, know all the revelation, and still not love the God of the Bible. Number three. Maybe none of those are you, but maybe, maybe you're a life from God. Now, this one's unique. This is nobody in here. Other places, for sure. Not America. But a life from God values blessing above God himself. In this position, God exists to meet our consumeristic needs. He requires no change or sacrifice from us, only seeking to give us the desires of our heart. In fact, you can find Bible verses to back you up. And his blessings become the idols of our life. In that kingdom, the ruler and reigner is you. In that kingdom of God, I'm king. As long as I got from God what I want, that's all that matters. And in this posture, God is only useful when our needs are met. My son, every Sunday morning, I'll get up and... um. I drive to church before my wife does because I come a little earlier than she does. And I tend to bring one of my kids. I like to bring my boys along with me. I want them to be a part of ministry. Somebody asked me the other day, like, hey, you know, like, what should you, you know, what should you value more, like, family or ministry? I'm like, that's a dumb question. That's just what I call a dumb dichotomy. I, fam- I value both, and so I put them both together. That's why you should come to church together. That's why you should do church together, read the Bible together, pray together, like, God doesn't want you to sacrifice your family for him. He wants you to bring your family and be with him together. So I bring them to church sometimes. But sometimes they don't want to come, especially the little ones. The little ones love to be with mom. And I don't know why. I don't know if they, she just gives them sugar or something, but <laughs> the old ones like to go with me because now they're driving. Praise, please pray. If you could ever pray for your pastor or sacrifice a cat to anything, please, <laughs> please do it now. My children are driving thousand pound vehicles now. I don't think, can I just be honest? I don't think any teenager should drive a car. I just don't. I don't care if you're a teenager. No, I don't agree, I don't agree with you. Um, your brains are not formally, fully formed. So, um, but I'm, I'll, I'll drive to church and 
I always walk out and go, who wants to go with dad? Crickets, you know, nobody. And so my little ones, I'm like, man, I'm going to get my little ones to go. So I tell Judah, my little nine-year-old, and uh, he's a lot of fun. So I'm like, I want you to come with me, son. He's like, nah, I'm going mom. I like mom. I spend time with mom. I'm like, she ain't all that. I'm just kidding. I don't say stuff. But like, sometimes you want to, right, guys? Like, sometimes you want to be like, she ain't, you know, let me tell you about what happened last night. You know, and she yelled at me. Um, but anyway, but she, I, was like, I was like, well, hey, like, I go to Starbucks before I go to church. He goes, so? I go, you want a cake pop? He goes, oh. I'll go with you, Dad. Sounds good. I'm like, all right. So we get in the car and we go and get a cake pop. So the next week comes, and I walk out, and I did the same thing. Who wants to go to, you know? Uh, before I was done with my sentence, he was running down the stairs with, like, he didn't have a shirt on. One leg was out of his pants, and he was like, I'm going to go, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. I'm like, well, you, okay, get dressed, comb your hair, and then we're going to go. So he goes, okay, well, we're going to go. And I felt so good. Like, parents, isn't it the coolest thing when your kids want to hang out with you? Like, some of y'all have, like, little, little kids, like, and you're like, they, I can't get away from them. Like, one day, they will not want, come on, am I testifying to any parents in here? Y'all, one day, you are not going to be the cool person in their life. And so, um, whenever they want to hang out with you, it's just the cool, I was like, oh, my heart, my heart. So, he gets in the car with me, and we're driving to church, and, and I'm like, son, and I thought, I'm like, let's have a father-son time. Son, you know, is there anything going on in your life? And he cuts me off and he goes, when are we going to get the cake pop? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what? And he goes, the cake pop, Dad. When are we going to get the cake pop? And I'm like, what cake? I didn't say you were going to get it. He goes, you gave me a cake pop last time. I'm expecting a cake pop now. I'm like, we're going to church, son. I gotta go. I'm, I'm running a little bit late. I, 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 and he goes, then I should have never come. How many y'all know, like, parents, is it not true? Like, your kids can cut you deep, right? Come on, somebody. If you're a parent in here, don't leave me up here. Come on. Yeah? Mm-hmm. You can't ever tell them that, but they can cut deep. We don't give them, we don't, we don't ever admit it, but I mean, it hurt. But it, it did make me think a little bit about my relationship with, with the Lord. It's how often I go to God, not for him, but for his stuff. Not to find relationship, but to find blessing. And instead of treating God as king, I treat God as a divine butler, do my bidding. Or a cosmic therapist, hey, or a cosmic vending machine, like, hey, I'm gonna put my faith in, and then when I put my faith into you and I pray, then you have to give me whatever I want, right? That's how it works. And so we do weird things. I mean, can we be honest? We do kind of weird things. We pray for good parking spots, right? Come on, how many of y'all did that during the holiday season? You over there at La Contera, and you're like, this is demonic. What was I thinking? Every year, don't you say that? Every year. Next year, I'm going to do it all online. And then you never do it, right? And you wind up back at the same place and fighting somebody and telling them, I hate you, you know? And that's why we don't give you Rise Church bumper stickers, just so you know. We don't do stuff like that. And, um, but like... We'll pray for things, you know. You're like, God, you're going to show up right now. And you're, I rebuke the demon of the Green Bay Packers, you know. And it doesn't show up, right? Too soon? Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but don't we do that? Don't we do that? 
We pray for weird things like that because God, you are not God. You're Santa. And the problem with this position at the end of the day is that we can love God's stuff more than we actually love God. Last one is this. Maybe you're not life from God, but your life for God. Now this one's weird, because you would think inadvertently that this is actually a good thing, because when I'm gonna read to you, you're gonna be like, this is not bad, pastor, I don't know what you're talking about, this is my life. Be careful. A life for God values mission above God himself. In this position, God's mission is supreme. Doing something for God in his name is the most important. The mission of Christ becomes the idol of our lives. The kingdom of God in this position is the mission of God is ruling and reigning. And you only they only rule and reign because it gets you to heaven one day or gives you purpose on earth right now. You don't actually do the mission for Christ because you love him and believe in him. You do it because it ensures your survival in eternity. We serve God as, I call it fire insurance. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, it keeps me out of hell. Yeah, I'll do something for God. I, it's kind of like the Marshawn Lynch principle, I call it. Y'all, I don't know if y'all remember, he's a football player with the Seattle Seahawks several years back, and the reporters used to ask him questions, and he would just show up, and he goes, I'm just here so I won't get fined. So you come to church, and you do all the things so that you don't go to hell one day. You know what's interesting about the, the, go back to the last posture, the posture from God when you're always about blessing. The prodigal son story was about that, right? Prodigal son was the younger brother and he left his father because he just wanted his what? His, his stuff, so he took his stuff and he took off. The problem is in the prodigal son story, when he comes back, the older brother enters in and now he deals with this kid who's actually more of a life for God kid. He was stayed at home. He did all the things for God, for his father. He did all the, th- right, right? You remember? He's like, and he even told him, he's like, dad, why are you killing the fattened calf for him? All this time I've been working for you. He said, I've been slaving for you. I've been on mission. I did all this stuff for you. And I love the father's response. I even wrote it down at Luke 15. He says, my son, you're always, you're always been with me. Yeah. Everything I got is yours. I thought you were, you know what he was really saying? I thought you were doing all that stuff for me because you loved me. Right. Not to ensure your survival. Right. And the mission is important. I'm like, don't hear me wrong. Like, the mission of God is very, very important. You and I should be on mission. We should be about the great, the, the, the great co-mission. We, I've always come up here and I've talked about being a part of the mission of Christ and you should live for God, but like, that's not the main thing. The mission of God is not the main thing. The God of the mission is the main thing. Do you see the difference in the posture? And if you're not careful, you can get it out of whack. Paul. Let me give you an example from the Bible. Paul, maybe the most missional person, planted churches in the first century church. He was part of the New Testament church. He started the New Testament church on behalf of Jesus. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. A lot of us could probably make an argument Paul was probably the most missional person who's ever walked this face of this earth. He did more for God than you and I forgot about, okay? And even he, 
In Philippians chapter three, go read it. He says, I count everything as loss, everything I did for God, all the churches I planted, everything I wrote, which by the way, he never did it to actually earn approval of God. It was his passion and love for Christ because he proves it for you. All that stuff I did, that doesn't matter because it's actually more important for me to know Jesus Christ, my Lord. My relationship with him is the most important. And out of my relationship with him comes mission. It's not the same thing. And when you live like this, we could do everything for God and his mission is still not love God. So what's the answer? Rewind. Back to Jesus' step and moment with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is in front of Jesus. And Jesus responds to a rabbi who is one of the central rabbis. Now let's go to Hebrew culture. Rabbis made up about 2% of the population in that day. Every rabbi was the firstborn child of the family by culture. That's how it was. And so when Jesus told him to be born again, what he wasn't saying was you need to get saved. What he was saying is you need to move from your position of justice to position of mercy because firstborns in the Hebrew culture always received justice. Secondborns always received mercy. It's why Jesus is described as the secondborn Adam coming. The firstborn Adam received justice because he did the sin. The secondborn Adam, Jesus comes as grace and mercy that you and I get to live under. It's the Hebrew culture that he was speaking to. Quite simply, what he was telling Nicodemus was that you need to move from your position, whatever inaccurate view of what you think the kingdom of God is, into my new position of what I'm telling you, what it clearly is. And what did he say it was? I need you to move into a relationship with me. It's not a life over God. It's not a life under God. It's not a life from God. It's not a life for God. It's a life with God. It's not that any of those things are even bad. Is, is it bad to do sacrifices or fasting or praying or going to church or reading your Bible? Is that bad? No. Not a trick question. Is that bad? No. no. Should you do it? but you don't do it to appease an angry God. You do it because you live with God and you do it out of the overflow of your relationship with him. Is it bad to, um, to use his principles and his laws and his wisdom and, and all the Proverbs and use all the things inside the Bible to and better ensure your life? No, should you do that? Yes, but you don't start there with his principles and eliminate God altogether. You start with a relationship with him. God, I'm in your life. We're in a relationship. I'm talking with you and in my relationship with you comes wisdom. Is it bad? for you to get blessing from God or ask for God for blessing. No, you should want to ask God. In fact, the Bible says, ask God and you shall receive. It's not bad to ask God for blessing, but if you start with God as a Santa instead of a savior, you're manipulating God and all four of those positions are all a means to an end. You made God a means to an end. He is the end. You go to God for God. How did that relationship comes blessing? Should you be on mission for Christ? Yes. You should be having people who don't know Jesus in your life every day. You should be talking to them about Jesus. You should be inviting them to Christ. You should be inviting them to church. You should be in their life and praying for them. But you don't do that simply to abandon. I know people, I know people right now who have abandoned their love for God and only do the mission for God. I know them. They exist and they think they're doing right. But you missed out. They made it an idol. Because the mission of God cannot give you what God can give you himself. 
So you start with your relationship with him. I'm with you, Jesus. We're in a relationship together. You're my heavenly father, and I'm your son, and out of that, I'm on mission. A life with God is in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. I'll show you Old Testament. It's a Genesis 3, 8. The man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Where was he? Was he on a weird throne in a cloud somewhere with a lightning bolt? No, he wasn't. He left his heavenly place to go down and be inhabited with his people and be with those that he created. God didn't have to do that. He lacks for nothing. He doesn't do it, he doesn't want to be with you because he's obligated. He wants to do it with you because he loves you. He wants to be in a relationship with you because he actually loves you. There is no more genuine love you can find in the world because he needs nothing from you. In the New Testament, you see in the Revelation chapter 21 at the end of the end of the age, and he says, I heard from a loud voice saying, look, God dwelling place is now what? It's among his people. And he will dwell, what, what will he dwell with? What would, with who? With, with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them. The Bible is a story about God trying to be with those he created. God's goal from the beginning was to be with his people. And if you have any other perception, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. I heard a, a great quote that said, religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. And if you have the wrong position towards God, you'll miss out on the kingdom. And none of us come in here, just so you know, without baggage. We've all come in with theologies given to us by pastors, by books we've read, by things we've Googled, by videos we've watched, by hurts and pains. You have a view of God, and my, my hope today would be that I challenge you to reposition your life where all that matters is that you're in relationship with Him. And then out of the outflow of that matters, the outflow of that relationship, come those positions. They come mission. It comes blessing. It I'm telling you, it comes as principles, and yes, it comes with religious practices and church and prayer, and all those things are good. They're just not God. My prayer for you today would be that you would see God as what he really is, a loving father who wants to be with his kids. That's my prayer.